Exactly. Cordis seemed pleased. Though with himself or his student, it was hard to tell. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. Bane dutifully recited. Understand this. Truly understand it. And your potential is limitless. Cordis gave a dismissive wave of his hand, then settled back into his meditation mat as Bane turned to go. At the door of the room, though, the young man paused and turned back. What is the Sithari? he blurted out. Cordis tilted his head to the side. Where did you hear that word? His voice was grave. I I've heard some of the other students use it about Sirak. They say he could be the Sithari. Some of the old texts speak of the Sithari, Cordis answered slowly, gesturing with a ring-laden claw at the books scattered about the room. They say the Sith will one day be led by a perfect being, one who embodies the dark side and all we stand for. Sirak is this perfect being? Cordis shrugged. Sirak is the strongest student at the Academy, for now. Perhaps in time he will surpass Kasim and me and all the other Sith Lords. Perhaps not. He paused. Many of the Masters do not believe in the legend of the Sithari, he continued after a moment. Lord Khan discounts it for one. It goes against the philosophy underlying the Brotherhood of Darkness. What about you, Master? Do you believe in the legend? Bane waited while Cordis considered his reply. It felt like forever. These are dangerous questions to ask, the Dark Lord finally said. But if the Sithari is more than a legend, he will not simply be born as the exemplar of all our teachings. He, or she, must be forged in the crucibles of trial and battle to attain such perfection. Some might argue such training is the purpose of this academy, but I would counter by insisting that we train our apprentices to join the ranks of the Sith Lords, so they may stand alongside Khan and the rest of the Brotherhood. Realizing that was as good an answer as he was going to get, Bane nodded and left. He had been absolved of his crime, given a pardon because of his power and potential. He should have been exultant, triumphant, but for some reason, all he could think about as he headed up to the roof to join the other students was the sticky gurgles of Fulharg's dying breaths. That night, in the privacy of his room, Bane struggled to make sense of what had happened. He sought the deeper wisdom behind the Master's words. Cordis had said that his emotions, his anger, had let him summon up the strength to defeat Fohark. He said passion fueled the dark side. Bane had felt this enough times to know it was true. But he couldn't shake the feeling that there was more to it than that. He didn't consider himself a cruel person. He didn't believe he was ruthless or sadistic. Yet how else to explain what he had done to the helpless McCurth? It had been murder or execution and Bane was having trouble accepting it. He had a lot of blood on his hands. He'd killed hundreds, maybe even thousands of Republic soldiers, but that had been war, 
and the ensign he'd killed on Apatros had been a case of self-defense. Those were all cases of kill or be killed, and he had no regrets about what he'd done, unlike yesterday. No matter how he tried, he couldn't find a way to justify what had happened in the ring. Foharg had taunted him, feeding his rage and lethal fury. Yet he couldn't even use the excuse that he'd been swept up in the heat of the moment. Not if he was being honest with himself. He'd felt his emotions raging through him as he'd drawn on the dark side. But the act itself had been cold and deliberate, calculating even. Lying in his bed, Bane couldn't help but wonder if the relationship between passion and the dark side was more complex than Cordis had made it seem. He closed his eyes, thinking back on what had happened. He took slow, deep breaths, trying to stay calm and detached so he could analyze what had gone wrong. He had been humiliated and embarrassed, and he'd responded with anger. His anger had let him summon the dark side to lash out at his enemy. He could remember a feeling of elation, of triumph, when Foharg went sprawling through the air. But there was something else, too. Even in victory, his hatred had kept growing, rising up like the flames of a fire that could be quenched only with blood. Passion fueled the dark side. But what if the dark side also fueled passion? Emotion brought power, but that power increased the intensity of those emotions, which in turn led to an increase in the power. In the right circumstances, it would create a cycle that would end only when a person reached the limits of his or her ability to command the Force, or when the target of his or her anger and hatred was destroyed. Despite the heat in his room, a cold shiver ran down Bane's spine. How was it possible to contain or control a power that fed on itself? The more he, as an apprentice, learned to draw on the Force, the more his emotions would control him. The stronger a person became, the less rational he would be. It was inevitable. No, Bane thought. He was missing something. He had to be. If this were true, the masters would be teaching the students techniques to avoid this situation. They would be learning to distance themselves from their own emotions, even as they used them to draw upon the dark side. But there was nothing of this in their training. So Bane's analysis had to be wrong. It had to be. Somewhat reassured, Bane let his thoughts drift into the comfort of sleep. You make me sick, his father spat. Look how much you eat. You're worse than a criffing zucker pig. Des tried to ignore him. He hunkered down in his seat at the dinner table and concentrated on the food on his plate, shoveling slow forkfuls into his mouth. Did you hear me, boy? His father snapped. You think that food in front of you is free? I gotta pay for that food, you know. I worked every day this week and I still owe more now than I did at the beginning of the blasted month. Hurst was drunk as usual. His eyes were glassy and he still reeked of the mines. He hadn't even bothered to shower before hitting the bottle he kept tucked away beneath the covers of his cot. You want me to start working double shifts to support you, boy? He shouted. Without looking up from his plate, Des muttered, I work just as many shifts as you do. What? Hurst said, his voice dropping down to a menacing whisper. What did you just say? Instead of biting his lip, Des looked up from his plate and right into his father's red, bleary eyes. I said, 
I work as many shifts as you do. And I'm only 18. Hurst pushed his chair away from the table and rose. 18, and still too dumb to know when to keep your mouth shut! He shook his head from side to side, in exaggerated disappointment. Bloody bane of my existence is what you are! Throwing his fork down on his plate, Dez pushed his own chair back from the table and stood up to his full height. He was taller than his father now, and his frame was beginning to fill out with muscles earned in the tunnels. Are you going to beat me now? He snarled at his father. Going to teach me a lesson? Hurst's jaw dropped open. What the bricks is wrong with you, boy? I'm sick of this, Dan snapped. You blame all your problems on me, but you're the one who's drinking away all our credits. Maybe if you sobered up, we could get off this stinking world. You smart-mouthed mudcrutch whelp! Hurst roared, flipping the table so it crashed against the wall. He leapt across the now-empty space between them and grabbed Dez by his wrists in a grip as unbreakable as a pair of Durasteel binders. The young man tried to wrench free, but his father outweighed him by twenty-some kilos, almost half of which was muscle. Knowing it was hopeless, Dez stopped struggling after a few seconds, but he wasn't going to cower and cry. Not this time. If you're going to beat me tonight, he said, remember that it might be the last time, old man. You better make it a good one. Hurst did. He lit into his son with the savage fury of a bitter, hopeless man. He broke his nose. He blackened both his eyes. He knocked out two of his teeth, split his lip, and cracked his ribs. But throughout it all, Dez never said a word. And he didn't shed a single tear. That night, as Dez lay in his bed too bruised and swollen to sleep, a single thought kept running through his mind, drowning out the loud, drunken snores of Hurst passed out in the corner. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you die. He'd never hated his father as much as he did at that moment. He envisioned a giant hand squeezing his father's cruel heart. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you die. The words rolled over and over, an endless mantra, as if he could make them come true through sheer force of will. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you die. The tears he'd held back during the brutal thrashing finally came, hot drops streaming down his purple, swollen face. I hope you die. I hope you die. I hope you... Bane woke with a start, his heart pounding, and his body bathed in terror sweat as he thrashed against the covers tangled around his legs. For a brief second, he thought he was back in a patros in the cramped room filled with Hurst and the overwhelming stench of booze. Then he realized where he was, and the nightmare began to fade. A horrible realization swept in to take its place. Hurst had died that night. The authorities had ruled it a natural death, a heart attack, brought on by a combination of too much alcohol, a life working the mines, and the overexertion of nearly beating his own son to death with his bare hands. They never suspected the real cause. Neither had Bane. Not until now. Trembling slightly, he rolled over, exhausted, but knowing sleep wouldn't come again this night. 
Fohark wasn't the first person he had murdered with the Force. He probably wouldn't be the last. Bane was smart enough to understand that. He shook his head to clear away the memory of Hurst's death. The man had deserved neither pity nor mercy. The weak would always be crushed by the strong. If Bane wanted to survive, he had to become one of the strong. That was why he was here at the Academy. That was his mission. That was the way of the dark side. But the realization did nothing to quell the queasy feeling in his stomach. And when he closed his eyes, he could still see Father's face. Chapter 12 No! Kasim barked, disdainfully slapping Bane's training saber aside with his own weapon. Wrong! You're too slow on the first transition. You're leaving your left side wide open for a quick counter. The Blade Master was teaching him a new sequence. He'd been teaching it to him for more than a week. But for some reason, Bane couldn't seem to grasp the intricacies of the movements. His blade felt clumsy and awkward in his hand. He stepped back and resumed the ready position. Kasim studied him briefly, then dropped into a defensive stance in front of him. Bane took a deep breath to focus his mind before letting his body trigger the sequence once again. His muscles moved instinctively, exploding into action. There was a hiss as the downstroke of his blade carved through the air in the first move, a blur of motion, but far too slow. Kasim responded by slipping to the side and bringing his own double-bladed weapon around in a long, swift arc that struck Bane hard in the ribs. The breath whooshed out of him, and he felt the searing pain of the pelco barbs, followed by the all-too-familiar numbness spreading up through the left side of his torso. He staggered back helpless as Kasim watched silently. Bane struggled to stay upright and failed, collapsing awkwardly to the floor. The Blade Master shook his head in disappointment. Bane dragged himself to his feet, trying not to let his frustration show. It had been nearly three weeks since he'd beaten Foharg in the ring, and since that time, he'd been training with Kasim in individual sessions to improve his lightsaber combat. But for some reason, he wasn't making any progress. Sorry, Master. I will go practice the drills again, he said through gritted teeth. Drills, the Twilik repeated, his voice cruel and mocking. What good will that do? Uh, I must learn the sequence better to become faster. Kasim spat on the ground. If you truly believe that, then you're a fool. Bane didn't know how to respond, so he kept silent. The Blade Master stepped forward and gave him a sharp cuff on his ear. It was meant not to hurt, but to humiliate. Foharg was better trained than you, he snapped. He knew more sequences. He knew more forms. But they couldn't save him. The sequences are just tools. They help you free your mind so you can draw upon the Force. That is where you will find the key to victory. Not in the muscles of your arms or the quickness of your blade. You must call upon the dark side to destroy your enemies. Clenching his jaw from the burning pain, now spreading through the entire left side of his body, Bane could only nod. You're holding back. The master went on. You aren't using the force. Without it, your moves are slow and predictable. I, I'll try harder, master. 
Try! Kasim turned away in disgust. You've lost your will to fight. This lesson is over. Realizing he'd been dismissed, Bane slowly made his way to the stairs leading down from the temple roof. As he reached them, Kasim called out one last piece of advice. Return when you are ready to embrace the dark side, instead of pulling away from it. Bane didn't turn to look back. The pain and numbness of his left side made that impossible. But as he hobbled down the stairs, Lord Kasim's words echoed in his ears with the ring of truth. This wasn't the first training session he had failed in, and his failures weren't limited to Kasim and the lightsaber. Bane had gained in both reputation and prestige when he defeated Foharg. Several of the masters had shown a sudden willingness to give him individual one-on-one -on -one training. Yet despite the extra attention, Bane's skills hadn't progressed at all. If anything, he'd actually taken several steps back. He made his way through the halls to his room, then lay down gingerly on his bed. There wasn't anything he could do while he was temporarily crippled by the Pelco Venom except rest and meditate. It was obvious something was wrong, but he couldn't say exactly what. He no longer felt sharp. He no longer felt alive. When he had first become conscious of the force flowing through him, his senses had become hyper-aware. The world had seemed more vibrant and more real. Now, everything was muted and distant. He walked through the halls of the academy as if he was in some kind of trance. He wasn't sleeping well, he kept having nightmares. Sometimes he dreamed of his father on the night he died. Other times he dreamed of his fight with Fohark. Sometimes the dreams blended together, merging into one terrible vision. The McCurth beating him in the apartment on Apatros. His father lying dead in the dueling ring atop the temple on Korriban. And each time, Bane would wake choking back a scream, shivering, even though his body was bathed in sweat. But it was more than just lack of sleep that left him in a dazed stupor. The passion that had driven him was gone. The raging fire inside him had vanished, replaced by a cold emptiness. And without his passion, he was unable to summon the power of the dark side. It was becoming harder and harder to command the force. The changes were subtle, barely noticeable at first, but over time, small changes built up. Now moving even small objects left him exhausted. He was slow and clumsy with the training saber. He could no longer anticipate what his opponents would do. He could only react after the fact. He couldn't deny it any longer. He was regressing. Apprentices he had surpassed long ago had caught up to him again. He could tell he was falling behind just by watching the other students during their studies, which meant they could probably tell too. He thought back on what the Twi'lek Master had told him. You've lost your will to fight. Kasim was right. Bane had felt it slipping away since his first dream of his father. Unfortunately, he had no idea how to reclaim the anger and competitive fire that had fueled his meteoric rise through the hierarchy of Sith apprentices. Return when you are ready to embrace the dark side, instead of pulling away from it. Something was holding him back. Some part of him recoiled from what he had become. 
He would meditate for hours each day, concentrating his mind in search of the swirling, pulsing fury of the dark side locked away within him. Yet, he searched in vain. A cold veil had fallen across the core of his being, and try as he might, he couldn't tear it aside to seize the power that lay beneath. And he was running out of time. So far, nobody had dared to challenge him in the dueling ring, not since Fohark's death. The McCurth's gruesome end still inspired enough fear in the other students for them to steer clear of him. But Bane knew they wouldn't keep their distance much longer. His confidence and abilities were waning and his failures were becoming more public. Soon, it would be as obvious to the other students as it was to him. In those first days after Fohag's death, his only true rival had been Sirak. Now, every apprentice on Korriban was a potential threat. The hopelessness of the situation tore away at his guts. It made him want to scream and claw at the stone walls in impotent rage. Yet, for all his frustrations, he was unable to summon the passion that fed the dark side. Soon, a challenger would step forward in the dueling ring, eager to take him down. And there was nothing he could do to stop that moment from coming. Lord Khan paced restlessly on the bridge of Nightfall as it orbited the industrial world of Brental IV. The Sith fleet occupied the Bormea sector, the region of space where the Perlemian trade route and the Hydean Way intersected. The Brotherhood of Darkness now controlled two of the most important hyperspace lanes serving the Core Worlds. Republic resistance to the ever-advancing Sith fleet was crumbling. And yet, despite this most recent victory, Khan felt something wasn't right. If anything, their conquest of the Bormea sector had been too easy. The worlds of Korolag, Chandrala, and Brental had all fallen in rapid succession, their defenders offering only token resistance before retreating in the face of the invading horde. In fact, he had sensed only a handful of Jedi among the Republic forces opposing them. This was not the first time the Jedi had been virtually absent from key battles. During encounters at Bespin, Sullust, and Tanab, Khan had expected to be confronted by a fleet led by Jedi Master Hoth, the only Republic commander who seemed capable of winning victories against the Sith. But General Hoth, despite the reputation he had earned in the early stages of the war, was never there. At first, Khan suspected it was a trap, some elaborate scheme arranged by the wily Hoth to ensnare and destroy his sworn enemy. But if it was a trap, it had never been sprung. The Sith were pressing in from all sides, they were almost sitting on the doorstep of Coruscant itself, and the Jedi had all but vanished, seemingly having deserted the Republic in its time of greatest need. He should have been ecstatic. Without the Jedi, the war was as good as over. The Republic would fall in a matter of months, and the Sith would rule. But where had the Jedi gone? Khan didn't like it. The strange message Kopesh had sent just a few hours earlier had only added to his unease. The Twi'lek was coming to meet Nightfall with urgent news about Rusan. News he wouldn't transmit across regular channels. News so important, he felt he had to deliver it in person. An interceptor has just docked in Nightfall's landing bay, Lord Khan, one of the bridge crew reported. Despite his anxiousness to hear Kopesh's news, Lord Khan resisted the urge to go down to the landing bay to meet him. He felt something had gone very, very wrong 
and it was important to maintain an appearance of calm assurance before his troops. Yet patience was not a virtue many of the Sith Lords possessed, and he couldn't keep himself from pacing as he waited for the Twi'lek to make his way to the bridge and deliver his ominous report. After what seemed like hours, but was no more than a few minutes, Kopej finally arrived. His expression did nothing to alleviate Khan's growing apprehension as he crossed the bridge and gave a perfunctory bow. I must speak with you in private, Lord Khan. You may speak here, Khan assured him. What we say will not leave this ship. The bridge crew of Nightfall had been hand-picked by Khan himself. All had sworn an oath to serve with absolute loyalty. They knew the harsh consequences should they break that oath. Kopej glanced suspiciously around the bridge, but the crew were all focused on their stations. None of them seemed even to notice him. We've lost Rusan, he said, whispering despite Khan's assurances. The base set up on the surface. The orbiting fleet. All of it. Wiped out. For a moment, Khan didn't speak. When he did, his voice had dropped to the same level as Kopej's. How did this happen? We have spies throughout the Republic military. All their fleets have fallen back to the core. All of them. They couldn't possibly have mustered enough strength to take back Rusan. Not without us knowing. It wasn't the Republic, Kopej replied. It was the Jedi. Hundreds of them. Thousands. Jedi Masters, Jedi Knights, Jedi Paduans, an entire army of Jedi. Kopej cursed loudly. None of the crew so much as glanced in his direction, a testament to their training and their fear of their commander. Lord Hoth realized that the strength of the Jedi Order was spread too thin trying to defend the Republic, Kopej continued. He's gathered them all into a single host with only one goal, destroy the users of the dark side. They don't care about our soldiers and fleets anymore. All they want to do is wipe us out. The apprentices, the acolytes, the Sith Masters, and especially the Dark Lords. Lord Hoth himself is leading them. The Twi'lek added, though Khan had already guessed this for himself. They call themselves the Army of Light. Kopesh paused to let the news sink in. Khan took several deep breaths, silently reciting the Code of the Sith to bring his whirling thoughts back into focus. And then, he laughed. <laughs> An army of light to oppose the Brotherhood of Darkness. Kopesh stared at him with a bewildered expression. Hoth knows the Jedi aren't capable of defeating our vast armies, Khan explained. Not anymore. The Republic is doomed. So now he concentrates exclusively on us, the leaders of those armies. Cut off the head and the body will die. We should send our fleet to Rusan, Kopej suggested. All of them. Crush the Jedi in one fell swoop and wipe them from the galaxy forever. Khan shook his head. That's exactly what Hoth wants us to do. Divert our armies from the Republic, draw them away from Coruscant, give up all the ground we have gained in a foolish and pointless attack on the Jedi. Pointless? You say he has an army of Jedi, thousands of them. What chance does a fleet of mere soldiers have against such an enemy? 
ships and weapons are no match for the power of the Force. Hoth knows this. Finally, Kopesh nodded in understanding. You always said this war would not be decided by military might. Precisely. In the end, the Republic is merely an afterthought. Only through the complete annihilation of the Jedi Order can we achieve true victory. And Hoth has been kind enough to gather them all in one place for us. But the Brotherhood is no match for the massed strength of the entire Jedi Order. Kopesh protested. There are too many of them and not enough of us. Our numbers are greater than you think, Khan said. We have academies scattered throughout the galaxy. We can swell our numbers with marauders from Honagar and Gentis. We can gather all the assassins trained at Umbara. We will command the students at Dathomir, Iridonia, and all the rest of the academies to join the ranks of the Brotherhood of Darkness. We will assemble our own army of Sith, one capable of destroying Hoth and his army of light. And what of the Academy on Koriban? Kopesh asked. They will join the Brotherhood, but only after they have completed their training under Cortis. We could use them against the Jedi, Kopesh pressed. Koriban is home to the strongest of our apprentices. That is precisely why it is too dangerous to bring them into this conflict, Khan explained. With strength come ambition and rivalry. In the heat of battle, their emotions will take over their minds. They will turn against each other. They will divide our ranks with infighting, while the Jedi remain united. He paused. It has happened to the Sith too many times in the past. I will not allow it to happen again. They will stay with Cordis and complete their training. He will teach them discipline and loyalty to the Brotherhood. Only then will they join us on the field of battle. Is that what you believe? Kopesh asked, or what Cordis has been telling you. Don't let your mistrust of Cordis blind you to what we are trying to accomplish, Khan chided. His pupils are the future of the Brotherhood, the future of the Sith. I will not expose them to this war until they are ready. His tone clearly brooked no further argument. The apprentices at Korriban will join the Brotherhood in due time. But that time is not now. Well, it better be soon, Kopesh muttered, only partially mollified. I don't think we can beat Hoth without them. Khan reached out and grasped the Twilix meaty shoulder in a firm grip. Never fear, my friend, he said with a smile. The Jedi will be no match for us. We will slaughter them at Rusan and wipe them from the face of the galaxy. The apprentices may be the future of the Brotherhood, but the present belongs to us. Much to Khan's relief, Kopesh returned his smile. The leader of the Brotherhood would have been less pleased if he had known that much of the Twilix satisfaction came from the knowledge that Cordis would miss out on the glory of the coming victory. Lord Kasim entered the opulently decorated chamber and gave a nod in the direction of his fellow master. You wanted to see me. Nurse from the front, 
Cordis said, rising slowly from his meditation mat. The Jedi have massed together under a single banner on Rusan. General Hoff is leading them. Lord Khan has gathered his own army. Even now, they are headed there to engage the Jedi. Are we going to join them? Kasim asked, his voice eager, his leku twitching at the thought of pitting his skills against the greatest warriors of the Jedi Order. Cordis shook his head. Not us. None of the masters. And none of the students, unless you feel one of the apprentices is ready. No, Kasim replied after a moment's consideration. Sidak, perhaps. He is strong enough, but his pride is too great, and he still has much to learn. What about Bane? He showed great promise in disposing of Foharg. Kasim shrugged. That was a month ago. Since then, he has made almost no progress. Something is holding him back. Fear, I think. Fear? Of the other students? Of Sirak? No, nothing like that. He's finally seen what he is truly capable of. He's seen the full power of the dark side. I think he's afraid to face it. Then he is of no further use to us, Corda stated flatly. Focus on the other students. Don't waste your time on him. The Blade Master was momentarily taken aback. He was surprised that Cordis would be so quick to give up on a student with such undeniable potential. I think he just needs more time, he suggested. Most of our apprentices have been studying the ways of the Sith for many years, ever since they were children. Bane didn't begin his training with us until he was a full-grown adult. I'm well aware of the circumstances surrounding his arrival at this academy, Cordis snapped and Kasim suddenly realized what was really going on. Bane had been brought to Korriban by Lord Kopej, and there was precious little love lost between Kopej and the leader of the academy. Bane's failure would ultimately become a poor reflection on Cordis's most bitter rival. The next time Bane approaches you, turn him away, the Dark Lord told him, his tone leaving no doubt that his words were a command and not a request. Make sure all the masters understand that he is no longer worthy of our teachings. Kasim nodded his understanding. He would do as ordered. It wasn't fair to Bane, of course, but nobody ever claimed the Sith were fair. Chapter 13 Bane knew he had to do something. His situation was becoming desperate. He was still floundering, unable to call upon the power he had used to destroy Foharg. But now, his weakness had become public. Yesterday during the evening training session, he had approached Kasim to arrange a time for more one-on-one -on -one practice, hoping to break free of the lethargy that gripped him. But the Blade Master had refused him, shaking his head and turning his attention to one of the other students. The message was clear to everyone. Bane was vulnerable. As the students gathered in a circle on the top of the temple after the morning drills, Bane knew what had to be done. His reputation had protected him from the challenges of the other students. Now that reputation was gone. But he couldn't sit back passively, waiting for one of the other students to challenge him and take him down. He had to seize the initiative. He had to go on the attack. 
Today, he had to be the first one to step into the ring. Of course, if he challenged one of the lesser students, everyone would see it as confirmation of the weakness he was trying to hide. There was only one way he could redeem himself in the eyes of the school and the masters. There was only one opponent he could call out. Several of the apprentices were still milling about, trying to find a place where they would be able to clearly observe the morning's action. It was customary to wait until everyone was in place before issuing a challenge. But Bay knew that the longer he waited, the harder his task would be. He stepped boldly into the center of the circle, drawing curious stares from the other students. Kasim fixed him with a disapproving gaze, but he tried to put it out of his mind. I have a challenge, he proclaimed. I call out Sirak. There was an excited buzz among the students, but Bane could barely hear it above the pounding of his own heart. Sirak rarely fought in actual combat. Bane had never even seen him in action. But he'd heard other students talk of Sirak's prowess in the dueling ring, telling wild tales of his unbeatable skills. Ever since the Zabrak had approached him on the stairs, Bane had watched his opponent during training sessions in preparation for this confrontation. And from what he'd seen, the seemingly exaggerated accounts of his prowess were all too accurate. Unlike most of the students, Sirak preferred the double-bladed training saber to the more traditional single blade. Apart from Kasim himself, Sirak was the only one Bane had ever seen wield the exotic weapon with any signs of skill. His technique seemed almost perfect to Bane's inexpert eye. He always seemed in complete control. He was always on the attack. Even in simple drills, his superiority over his opponents was obvious. Where most students took two to three weeks to learn a new sequence, Sirak was able to master one in a matter of days. And now Bane was about to face him in the dueling ring. The Zabrak stepped out from the crowd, moving slowly but gracefully as he responded to the challenge. Even walking to the center of the ring, he exuded an air of menace. He casually flourished his weapon as he approached, the twin durasteel blades carving long, languid arcs through the air. Bane watched him come, feeling his heart and breathing quicken as his body released adrenaline into his system instinctively readying itself for the coming battle. In contrast with his physical body, however, Bane felt no significant change in his emotional state. He had expected to feel a surge of fear and anger as Sirak approached, emotions he could feed off to rip through the lifeless veil and unleash the dark side. But the lethargic stupor still enveloped him like a dull gray shroud. I wish you had challenged me earlier. Sirach whispered, his voice just loud enough for Bane to hear. In the first week after Fohag's death, many thought you were my equal. I would have gained great prestige in defeating you. That is no longer the case. Sirach had stopped his advance and was standing several meters away. His double-bladed training saber still danced slowly through the air. It moved as if it were alive, a creature anticipating the hunt too excited to remain motionless. There will be little glory in defeating you now, he repeated, but I will take great pleasure in your suffering. Behind Sirak, Bane saw Lokai and Yivra, the others of Brack apprentices, pushed their way to the front of the crowd to get a better view of their champion. The brother wore a cruel grin, the sister, 
an expression of hungry anticipation. Bane did his best to tune out the eagerness on their red faces, letting them blend into the unimportant background scenery of the spectators. All his concentration was focused on the fluid movements of the unfamiliar weapon in Sirak's hands. He had tried to memorize the sequences Sirak worked on during the drills. Now he was looking for clues that would tip his opponent's hand, that might reveal which sequence he planned to use to begin the battle. If Bane guessed right, he could counterattack and possibly end the battle in the first pass. It was his best chance at victory. But without being able to draw on the force, his odds of correctly guessing which sequence his foe would choose were very, very slim. Sirak raised the double-bladed saber up above his head, spinning it so fast it was nothing but a blur. Then lunged forward. One end came down in a savage overhead strike that Bane easily parried. But the move was only a feint, setting up a slashing attack at the waist from the opposite blade. Recognizing the maneuver at the last second, Bane could do nothing more than throw himself into a backward roll, narrowly escaping injury. His foe was on him even before he got to his feet, the twin blades slicing down in an alternating rhythm of attacks, left, right, left, right. Bane blocked, rolled, twisted, and blocked again, turning back the flurry. He tried a leg sweep, but Sirak anticipated the move and nimbly leapt clear, giving Bane just enough time to scramble to his feet. The next round of attacks kept Bane in full retreat, but he was able to prevent Sirak from gaining an advantage by giving ground and reverting to basic defensive sequences. He was still desperately trying to gain some advantage by watching his opponent's moves. At one moment, Sirak seemed to be using the jabs and thrusts of Vapad, the most aggressive and direct of the seven traditional forms. But in the middle of a sequence, he would suddenly shift to the power attacks of Dujem So, generating such force that even a block strike caused Bane to stagger back. A quick turn or rotation of the weapon, and one of the twin blades was suddenly swinging in again at an awkward angle, causing Bane to reel off balance as he knocked it aside. There was a brief lull in the action as the two combatants paused to reevaluate their strategies, each breathing heavily. Sirak twirled his weapon in a quick, complex sequence that brought the saber under his right arm, around behind his back, over his left shoulder, and around to the front. Then he smiled and did it in reverse. Bane watched the extravagant flourish with a sinking feeling. Sirak had been toying with him in the first few passes dragging the fight out so his victory would seem more impressive. Now, he was showing his true skill, using sequences that blended several forms at once, switching rapidly among different styles and complex patterns Bane had never seen before. It was just one more sign of the Zabrak superiority. If Bane tried to combine different styles into a single sequence, he'd probably gouge out an eye or smack himself in the back of the head. It was clear he was overmatched. His only hope was that his enemy would get careless and make a mistake. Sirak moved in again, his training saber moving so quickly that Bane could hear the sizzle as it split the air. Bane leapt forward to meet the challenge, trying to call up the power of the dark side to anticipate and block the dual blades moving too fast for his eyes to see. He felt the force flowing through him, but it seemed distant and hollow. The veil was still there. He was able to keep the paralyzing edges of Sirak's saber at bay, but it required him to concentrate all his attention on controlling his own blade, leaving him vulnerable 
to the real purpose of the attack being unleashed against him. Bane's skull exploded as Sirak's forehead slammed into his face. Pain turned his vision into a field of silver stars. The cartilage of his nose gave way with a sickening crunch, a geyser of blood gushing forth. Blind and dazed, he was able to parry the next strike only by instinct guided by the faintest whisper of the force. But Sirak spun as his saber was turned away and delivered a back roundhouse kick that shattered Bane's kneecap. Screaming, Bane collapsed, his free hand slamming into the ground as he braced his fall. Sirak crushed the fingers under his boot, grinding them into the unyielding stone of the temple roof. A knee came up, fracturing his cheek and jawbone with a thunderous crack. With the last desperate burst, Bane tried to hurl his opponent backward with the dark side. Sirak brushed the impact aside, easily deflecting it with the force shield he had wrapped himself in at the start of the duel. Then he moved in close to finish the job with his blades. The first blow hit with the impact of a landspeeder slamming into an irax, breaking Bane's right wrist. The training saber dropped from his suddenly nerveless grasp. The next strike took him higher up on the same arm, dislocating his elbow. A simple kick to the face sent jagged bits of tooth shooting out of his mouth and bolts of pain shooting through his broken jaw. He slumped forward, barely conscious, as Sirak stepped back and lowered his saber reaching out with a free hand to grab Bane around the throat with the crushing grip of the force. He raised his arm, lifting the muscular Bane as if he were a child, then hurled him across the ring. Bane felt another bone snap as he crashed to the ground, but his body had passed into a state of shock and there was no longer any pain. He lay motionless in a crumpled, twisted heap. Blood from his nose and mouth clogged his throat. A coughing fit racked his body, and he heard, rather than felt, the grinding of his broken ribs. Everything began to go dim. He caught a glimpse of a pair of blood-flecked boots riding toward him. And then, Bane surrendered himself to the merciful darkness. Kopej shook his head as he studied the battle plan Khan had laid out on a makeshift table in the middle of his tent. The hollow map of Rusan's terrain showed the positions of the Sith forces as glowing red triangles floating above the map. The Jedi positions were represented by green squares. Despite this high-tech advancement, the rest of the map was a simple two-dimensional representation of the surrounding area's topography. It did nothing to convey the grim devastation that had left Rusan a virtual wasteland, ravaged by war. Three great fleet battles had taken place high above the world in the past year, scattering debris from the losing side across the sparsely populated world each time. Scorched and twisted hulls that had once been ships had crashed into the lush forests, igniting wildfires that had reduced much of the small world's surface to ash and barren soil. Rusan, despite its meager size, had become a world of major importance to both the Republic and the Sith. Strategically located on the edges of the Inner Rim, it also stood at what most considered the border between the Republic's dangerous frontier and its safe and secure core. Rusan was a symbol. Conquering it represented the inevitable advance of the Sith and their conquest of the Republic. Liberating it would be emblematic of the Jedi's ability to drive the invaders away and protect the Republic's citizens. The result 
was an endless cycle of battles with neither side willing to admit defeat. The first battle of Rusan had seen the invading Sith fleet rout the Republic forces, using the elements of surprise and the strength of Khan's battle meditation. The second battle saw the Republic try to reclaim control of Rusan and fail, driven back by the enemy's superior numbers and firepower. The third battle in the skies above Rusan marked the emergence of the Army of Light. Instead of Republic cruisers and fighters, the Sith found themselves facing a fleet made up primarily of one and two crew fighters, piloted exclusively by Jedi. The common soldiers who had joined Khan's army were no match for the Force, and Rusan was saved. For a time. The Sith had responded to the Army of Light by amassing the full numbers of the Brotherhood of Darkness into a single army, then unleashing it on Rusan. The war that had ravaged the world from on high moved down to the surface, with far more devastating consequences. Compared with space fleet battles, ground combat was brutal, bloody, and visceral. Kopaj slammed his fist down on the table. It's hopeless, Khan! The other Dark Lords gathered in the tent murmured in agreement. The Jedi positions are too well defended. They have all the advantages. Kopesh went on angrily. High ground, entrenched fortifications, superior numbers. We can't win this battle. Look again, Khan replied. The Jedi have spread themselves too thin. The big Twi'lek studied the map in more detail and realized Khan was right. The Jedi perimeter extended too far out from their base camp. It took him barely a moment to realize why. The clash between armies of Jedi and Sith, led by Jedi Masters and Dark Lords, had shaken the foundations of the world. The power of the Force raged unchecked across the battlefields, like the thunder of an exploding star. Towns, villages, and individual homes caught up in the storm had been wiped out, leaving only death and destruction behind. Civilians caught up in the wake of war had been forced to flee, becoming refugees of an epic battle between the champions of light and dark. Seeing their suffering, the Jedi had sought to console, comfort, and protect the innocent citizens of Rusan. They planned their strategies around defending civilian settlements and homesteads, even at the expense of resources and tactical advantage. The Sith, of course, made no such concessions. The Jedi's compassion is a weakness, Khan continued. One we can exploit. If we concentrate our full numbers on a single point, we can breach their lines. Then the advantage will be ours. The assembled generals and strategists of the Brotherhood of Darkness nodded in agreement. Several raised their voices in roars of triumph and congratulations. Only Kopej refused to join in the celebrations. The Army of Light still outnumbers us two to one, the heavyset Twilik reminded them. Their lines may be overextended in some places, but we don't know where they are vulnerable. They know our scouts are watching. They hide their numbers just as we hide ours. If we attack a location where their numbers are strong, we'll be slaughtered. The rest of the generals stilled their voices, no longer swept up in their leader's enthusiasm now that the glaring flaw in his plan had been exposed. Again, there were rumbles of disagreement and displeasure. Kopesh ignored the reaction of the other Dark Lords. For all their power, for all their ambition, they were like so many Banthas, 
blindly following the rest of the herd. In theory, everyone in the Brotherhood of Darkness was equal. But in practice, Khan ruled the others. Kopej understood this, and he was willing to follow him. The Sith needed a strong and charismatic leader, a man of vision, to quell the infighting that had plagued their ranks. Khan was just such a leader, and he was normally a brilliant military tactician. But this plan was madness. Suicide. Unlike the rest of the rabble, Kopej wasn't about to follow their leader into certain death. You underestimate me, Kopej, Khan reassured him, his voice calm and confident, as if he had anticipated this question all along and had an answer prepared. Perhaps he did. We won't strike until we know exactly where they are most vulnerable, the Dark Lord explained. By the time we attack, we'll know the precise number and composition of every unit and patrol along the perimeter. How? Kopej demanded. Even our Umbaran shadow spies can't provide us with that kind of detail. Not quickly enough to use it in planning our attack. We have no way of getting the information we'd need. Khan laughed. <laughs> of course we do. One of the Jedi will give it to us. The flaps covering the entrance of the long tent serving as the Sith war room parted as if on cue, and a young human woman, clad in the robes of the Jedi Order, stepped through. She was of average height, but that was the only thing about her that could ever be called average. She had thick raven hair that tumbled down past her shoulders. Her face and figure were perfect examples of the human female form. Her tricopper-hued skin was set off by green eyes, smoldering with a heat that was both a warning and an invitation. She moved with the lithe grace of a twillic dancer. As she walked the length of the assembled Dark Lords, a coy smile on her lips, as she pretended not to hear their whispers of surprise. Kopesh had seen many striking females in his time. Several of the female Dark Lords gathered in the tent were gorgeous, renowned as much for their incredible beauty as their devastating power. But as the young Jedi drew closer, he found he was unable to take his eyes off her. There was something magnetic about her, something that transcended mere physical attractiveness. She carried her head high, her proud features issuing an unspoken challenge as she approached. And Kopesh saw something else. Naked ambition, raw and hungry. At his side, Khan whispered, Remarkable, isn't she? She reached the front of the tent and dipped smoothly to one knee, bowing her head ever so slightly in deference to Lord Khan. Welcome, Githany, he said, motioning for her to rise. We've been waiting for you. It's my pleasure, Lord Khan, she purred. Kopej felt his knees go momentarily weak at her sensual voice, then snapped to rigid attention. He was too old and too wise to let himself be blinded by this woman's charms. He cared only about what she could offer them against the Jedi. You have information for us? He asked abruptly. She tilted her head to one side and gave him a curious glance, trying to find the reason for his cold reception. After a moment's pause, she answered, I can tell you exactly where to strike at their lines, and when. Lord Hoth put a Jedi named Keel Charney in charge of coordinating their defenses. I got the information directly from him. Why would this Charney share that kind of information with you? Kopesh asked suspiciously. 
She gave him a sly grin. Keel and I were close. We shared many things. He had no idea I would come to you with the information. Corpage narrowed his eyes. I thought the Jedi disapproved of that sort of thing. Her smile became a sneer. The Jedi disapprove of a lot of things. That's why I've come to you. Khan stepped forward before he could ask any more questions, placing a familiar hand on her hip and turning her away from Kopesh. We don't have time for this, Githany, he said. You must give us your report and return to the Jedi camp before anyone notices you're missing. She flashed a dazzling smile at Khan and nodded. Of course, we have to hurry. He gently ushered her over to the hollow map and another strategists closed in, shielding her from view as she gave them the details of the Jedi Guard. A few seconds later, Khan emerged from the crowd and walked back over to stand beside Kopesh. Ambition, betrayal, the dark side is strong in her. The Twilik whispered, I'm surprised the Jedi ever took her in. They probably believed they could turn her to the light, Khan replied, speaking just as softly. But Githany was born to the dark side. Like me, like you. It was inevitable she would join the Sith someday. The timing is fortunate, Kopesh noted. Maybe a little too fortunate. It may be a trap. Are you sure we can trust her? I think she's dangerous. Khan dismissed the warning with a soft laugh. <laughs> so are you, Lord Kopesh. That's what makes you so useful to the Brotherhood. Bane was floating, weightless, surrounded by darkness and silence. It seemed he was adrift in the black void of death itself. Then consciousness began to return. His body, jerked from blissful unawareness, thrashed in the dark green fluid of the Bacta tank, creating a stream of bubbles that rose silently to the surface. His heart began to pound. He could hear the blood rushing through his veins. His eyes popped open in time to see a medroid come over to adjust some of the settings on his tank. Within seconds, his heart rate slowed, and the involuntary thrashing of his bruised and broken limbs settled. But though his body was calmed by the tranquilizer, Bane's mind was now fully alert and aware. Memories of motion and pain flickered across his mind. The sights, sounds, and smells of combat. He remembered the approach of blood-stained boots his blood. Kasim must have stepped in after he'd blacked out and kept Sirak from killing him. They must have brought him here to heal. At first, he was surprised that they would bother to help him recover. Then he realized that he, like all the students at the academy, was too valuable to the Brotherhood to simply throw away. So he would survive, but his life was essentially over. Since coming to the academy, he had worked toward one clear goal. All his studying, all his training had been for one single purpose. To understand and command the power of the dark side of the Force. The dark side would bring him power. Glory. Strength. Freedom. Now, he would be a pariah at the Academy. He would be allowed to listen in on the group lessons, to practice his skills in Kasim's training sessions, but that would be all. Any hope he might have had of getting one-on-one -on -one training with any of the Masters had been crushed in his humiliating defeat. And without that specializing guidance, his potential would wither and die. 
In theory, all in the Brotherhood were equal, but Bane was smart enough to see the real truth. In practice, the Sith needed leaders. Masters like Khan or Lord Cordis here at the Academy. The strong always stepped forward. The weak had no choice but to follow. Now Bane was doomed to be one of the followers. A life of subservience and obedience. Through victory, my chains are broken. But Bane had not found victory, and he understood all too well the chains of servitude that would bind him forevermore. He was destroyed. Part of him wished Sirak had just finished the job. Chapter 14 There was an air of unusual celebration in the halls of the Sith Academy. The Brotherhood of Darkness had scored a resounding victory over the Jedi and Rusan, and the jubilation of the feast Cordis had thrown to mark the victory lingered in the air. During training sessions, drills, and lessons, students could be heard whispering excitedly as details of the battle were shared. The Jedi on Rusan had been completely wiped out, some said. Others insisted Lord Hoth himself had fallen. There were rumors that the Jedi Temple on Coruscant was defenseless, and it was only a matter of days before it was ransacked by the Dark Lords of the Sith. The Masters knew that much of what was being said was exaggerated or inaccurate. The Jedi on Rusan had been routed, but a great many had managed to escape the battle. Lord Hoth was not dead. Most likely, he was rallying the Jedi for the inevitable counterattack. And the Jedi Temple on Coruscant was still well beyond the reach of Khan and the Brotherhood of Darkness. On the orders of Cordis, however, the instructors allowed the enthusiasm of their apprentices to go unchecked for the sake of improving morale. The exultant mood at the Academy had little effect on Bane, however. It had taken three weeks of regular sessions in the Bacta tank before he'd fully recovered from the horrific beating Sirak had given him. Most of the time, a loss in the dueling ring required only a day or two in the tanks before the student was ready to resume training. Of course, most of the students didn't lose as badly as Bane had. Hurst had been free with his fists, and Bane had suffered more than a few severe thrashings growing up. The punishments of his youth had taught him how to deal with physical pain, but the trauma inflicted by Sirach was far worse than anything he'd endured at his father's hands. Bane shuffled slowly down the halls of the academy, though his measured pace was one of choice rather than necessity. The lingering discomfort he felt was insignificant. Thanks to the Bacta tanks, his broken bones had mended and his bruises had vanished completely. The emotional damage, however, was more difficult to reverse. A pair of laughing apprentices approached, regaling each other with supposedly factual accounts of the Sith victory on Rusan. Their conversation stopped as they neared the solitary figure. Bane ducked his head to avoid meeting their eyes as they passed. One whispered something unintelligible, but the contempt in her tone was unmistakable. Bane didn't react. He was dealing with the emotional pain in the only way he knew how, the same way he dealt with it as a child. He withdrew into himself, tried to make himself invisible to avoid the scorn and derision of others. His defeat, so public and so complete, had destroyed his already suspect reputation with both the students and the masters. Even before the duel, many had sensed that his power had left him. Now their suspicions had been confirmed. 
Bane had become an outcast at the academy, shunned by the other students and disregarded by the masters. Even Sirak ignored him. He had beaten his rival into submission. Bane was no longer worthy of his notice. The Zabrak's attention, like the attention of nearly all the apprentices, had turned to the young human female who had come to join them shortly after the battle on Rusan. Her name was Githany. Bane had heard that she had once been a Jedi Padawan, but had rejected the light in favor of the dark side. A common enough story at the Academy. Githany, however, was anything but common. She had played an integral role in the Sith victory on Rusan, and had arrived at Korriban with the fanfare of a conquering hero. Baden hadn't been strong enough to attend the victory feast where Cordis had introduced the new arrival to the rest of the students, but he had seen her several times at the academy since then. She was stunningly beautiful. It was obvious that many of the male students lusted after her. It was just as obvious that several of the female students were jealous of her, though they kept their resentment well hidden for their own sake. Githany was as arrogant and cruel as she was physically becoming, and the force was exceptionally strong in her. In only a few weeks, she'd already developed a reputation for crushing those who got in her way. It was no surprise she quickly became a favorite of Cordis and the other Dark Lords. None of this really mattered to Bane, however. He trudged on through the halls, head down, making his way to the library, located in the depths of the academy. Studying the archives had seemed the best way to supplement the teachings of the Masters in the early stages of his development. Now the cold, quiet room far beneath the temple's main floors offered him his only place of refuge. Not surprisingly, the massive room was empty, save for the rows of shelves stacked with manuscripts, haphazardly arranged and then forgotten. Few students bothered to come here. Why waste time contemplating the wisdom of the ancients when you could study at the feet of an actual Dark Lord? Even Bane came here only as a last resort. The masters wouldn't waste their time on him anymore. But as he perused the ancient texts, a part of him he'd thought dead began to reawaken. The inner fire, the burning rage that had always been his secret reserve was gone. Still, even if only faintly, the dark side called to him, and Bean realized that he wasn't ready to give up on himself, and so he gave himself up to studying. It wasn't permissible for students to remove records from the archive room, so Bane did all his reading there. Yesterday, he had finally completed a rather long and detailed treatise by an ancient Sith Lord named Naga Sadao on the uses of alchemy and poisons. Even in that, he had found small kernels of deeper wisdom he had claimed for his own. Bit by bit, his knowledge was growing. He walked slowly up and down the rows, glancing at titles and authors, hoping to find something useful. He was so intent on his search that he failed to notice the dark, hooded figure that entered the archives and stood silently in the doorway, watching him. Githany didn't say a word as the tall, broad-shouldered man wandered through the archives. He was physically imposing. Even under his loose-fitting robes, his muscles were obvious. Concentrating as she had been taught by the Jedi Masters before she betrayed them, she was able to feel the power of the dark side in him. 
He was remarkably strong in the force. Yet, he didn't carry himself like a man who was strong or powerful. Even here, away from the eyes of anyone else, he walked stooped over, his shoulders hunched. This was what Sirak could do to a rival, she realized. This was what he could do to her if she went up against him and lost. Githany had every intention of challenging the Academy's acknowledged top student, but only once she was certain she could beat him in the dueling ring. She had sought out Bane, hoping to learn from his mistakes. Seeing him now, weak and broken, she realized she might be able to get more from him than just information. Normally, she would be wary of allying herself with another student, particularly one as strong as Bane. Githany preferred to work alone. She knew all too well how devastating the consequences of unexpected betrayal could be. But the man she saw was vulnerable, exposed. He was alone and desperate. He was in no position to betray anyone. She could control him, using him as necessary and disposing of him when she was done. He took a book down from one of the shelves and walked slowly over to the tables. She waited until he had settled himself in and begun his reading. She took a deep breath and cast back her hood, letting her long tresses cascade down her shoulders. Then she put on her most seductive smile and moved in. Bane carefully opened the pages of the ancient volume he'd taken down from the archive shelves. It was titled The Rakata and the Unknown World and according to the date, was nearly 3,000 standard years old. But it wasn't the title or subject matter that had grabbed him. It was the author, Darth Revan. Revan's story was well known to Sith and Jedi alike. What intrigued Bane was the use of the Darth title. None of the modern Sith used the Darth name, preferring the designation Dark Lord. Bane had always found this puzzling, but he had never asked the Masters about it. Perhaps in this volume, by one of the last great Sith to use the designation, he could find out why the tradition had fallen into disuse. He had barely begun to read the first page when he heard someone approaching. He glanced up to see the Academy's newest apprentice, Githany, striding toward him. She was smiling making her already remarkable features even more attractive. In the past, Bane had only seen her from a distance. Up close, she literally took his breath away. As she swept into the seat beside him, the faintest whiff of perfume tickled his nose, causing his already racing heart to quicken its beat. Bane, she whispered, speaking softly, even though there was no one else in the archives to be disturbed by the conversation. I've been looking for you. Her statement caught him by surprise. Looking for me? Why? She placed a hand on his forearm. I need you. I need your help against Sirak. Her closeness, the brief contact with his arm, and her alluring fragrance set his head spinning. It took him several moments to figure out what she meant. But once he did, her sudden interest in him became obvious. News of his humiliation at the Zebrak's hands had reached her ears. She had come to see him in person, hoping she might learn something that would keep her from falling victim to a similar failure. I can't help you with Sirak, he said, 
turning away from her and burying his face in his book. The hand on his forearm gently squeezed, and he looked up again. She had leaned in closer, and he found himself staring right into her emerald eyes. Please, Bane, just listen to what I have to say. He nodded, not sure if he'd even be able to speak while she was pressed so close against him. He closed the book and turned slightly in his chair to better face her. Githany gave a grateful sigh and leaned back slightly. He felt a small flicker of disappointment as her hand slipped from his arm. I know what happened to you in the dueling ring, she began. I know everyone believes Sirak destroyed you, that somehow the defeat robbed you of your power. I can see you believe it too. Her face had taken on an expression of sorrow, not pity, thankfully. Bane didn't want that from anyone, especially not her. But she showed genuine regret as she spoke. When he didn't reply, she took a deep breath and continued. They're wrong, Bane. You can't just lose your ability to command the Force. None of us can. The Force is part of us. It's part of our being. I heard accounts of what you did to that McCurth. That showed what you were capable of. It revealed your true potential. It proved you were blessed with a mighty gift. She paused. Her gaze was intense. You may believe you've squandered that gift or lost it, but I know better. I can sense the power inside you. I can feel it. It's still there. Bane shook his head. The power may be there, but my ability to control it is gone. I'm not what I used to be. That's not possible, she said, her voice gentle. How can you believe that? Though he knew the answer, he hesitated before replying. It was a question he had asked himself countless times while floating in the weightless fluid of the back-to-tank. After his defeat, he'd had plenty of opportunity to struggle with his failure, and he'd eventually come to realize what had gone wrong, though not how to fix it. He wasn't sure he wanted to share his personal revelation with a virtual stranger. But who else was he going to tell? Not the other students, certainly not the masters. And even though he hardly knew Githany, she had reached out to him. She was the only one to do so. Exposing personal weakness was something only a fool or an idiot would risk here at the academy. Yet the hard truth was that Bane had nothing left to lose. All my life I've been driven by my anger, he explained. He spoke slowly, staring down at the surface of the table, unable to look her in the eye. My anger made me strong. It was my connection to the Force and the dark side. When Forhawk died, when I killed him, I realized I was responsible for my father's death. I killed him through the power of the dark side. And you felt guilty? She asked, once again placing a soft hand on his arm. No, maybe. I don't know. Her hand was warm. He could feel the heat radiating through the fabric of his sleeve to his skin underneath. All I know is that the realization changed me. The anger that drove me was gone. All that was left behind was, well, nothing. Give me your hand. Her voice was stern, and Bane hesitated only an instant before reaching out. She clasped his palm with both her hands. Close your eyes, she ordered, even as she shut her own. In the darkness, he became acutely aware of how tightly she had clenched his hand, 
squeezing the flesh so hard he could feel the beating of her heart through her palms. It was quick and urgent, and his already racing heart accelerated in response. He felt a tingling in his fingers, something beyond mere physical contact. She was reaching out with the force. Come with me, Pain, she whispered. Suddenly, he felt as if he were falling. No, not falling. Diving. Swooping down into a great abyss. The black emptiness inside his very being. The chill darkness numbed his body. He lost all sensation in his extremities. He could no longer feel Githany's hands wrapped about his own. He didn't even know if she was still sitting beside him. He was alone in the freezing void. The dark side is emotion, Bane. Her words came to him from a long way off, faint but unmistakable. Anger. Hate. Love. Lust. These are what make us strong. Peace is a lie. There is only passion. Her words were louder now, loud enough to drown out the drumming of his heart. Your passion is still there, Bane. Seek it out. Reclaim it. As if in response to her words, his emotions began to well up inside him. He felt anger, fury, pure pulsing hatred. Hatred of the other students for ostracizing him. Hatred of the masters for abandoning him. Most of all, he hated Sirak. And with the hate came the hunger for revenge. Then he felt something else. A spark, a flicker of light and heat in the cold darkness. His mind lunged out and grasped the flame, and for one brief instant he felt the glorious power of the Force burning through him once more. Then Githany let go of his hand and it was gone, snuffed out, as if he had merely imagined it. But he hadn't. It was real. He'd actually felt it. He opened his eyes warily, like a man waking from a dream he was afraid to forget. From the expression on Githany's face, he knew she must have felt something too. How did you do that? He asked, trying and failing to keep the desperation out of his voice. Master Handa taught me when I was studying under him in the Jedi Order, she admitted. I lost touch with the Force once, just as you have. I was still a young girl when it happened. My mind simply couldn't cope with something so vast and infinite. It created a wall to protect itself. Bay nodded, remaining fervently silent so she could continue. Your anger is still there, as is the Force. Now, you must break through the walls you've built around it. You have to go back to the beginning and learn how to connect with the Force once more. How do I do that? Training, Githany answered, as if it was obvious. How else does one learn to use the Force? The faint hope her revelation had kindled inside him died. The Masters won't train me anymore, he mumbled. Cordus has forbidden it. I will train you, Githany said coyly. I can share with you everything I learned from the Jedi about the Force. And whatever I learn about the dark side from the Masters, I can teach to you as well. Bane hesitated. Githany was no master, yet she had trained as a Jedi for many years. She probably knew much about the Force that would be new to him. At the very least, he'd learn more with her help than without it. And yet, 
something bothered him about her offer. Why are you doing this? He asked. She gave him a sly smile. Still don't trust me. Good. You shouldn't. I'm only in this for myself. I can't defeat Sirak on my own. He's too strong. They say he's the Sathari, Bane muttered. I don't believe in prophecies, she countered. But he has powerful allies, and the others of Rack Apprentices here are completely loyal to him. If I'm ever going to challenge him, I need somebody on my side. Somebody strong in the force. Somebody like you. Her reasons made sense, but there was still something bothering him. Lord Cordus and the other masters wouldn't approve of this. He warned her. You're taking an awful risk. Risks are the only way to claim the rewards, she replied. Besides, I don't care what the masters think. In the end, those who survive are the ones who look after themselves. It took Bane a second to realize why her words sounded so familiar. Then he remembered the last thing Groshik had said to him before he left Apatros. In the end, each of us is in this alone. The survivors are those who know how to look out for themselves. You help me regain the Force, and I'll help you against Sirak, he said, extending his arm. She clasped it in her own, then stood up to leave. Bane held his grip, forcing her to sit back down. There was a dangerous glint in her eye, but he didn't let go. Why did you leave the Jedi? He asked. Her expression softened, and she shook her head. She extended her free hand and placed it gently on his cheek. I don't think I'm quite ready to share that with you. He nodded. He didn't need to push her now, and he knew he hadn't earned the right yet. The hand on his cheek fell away, and he let go of her arm. She gave him one last appraising glance, then rose and walked away with brisk, purposeful strides. She never glanced back. But Bane was content to follow her swaying hips until she was out of sight. Githany knew he was watching her make her exit. Men always watched her. She was used to it. All in all, she felt the meeting had gone well. For a split second at the end, when he'd refused to let go of her arm, she had wondered if she'd underestimated him. His defiance had caught her off guard. She'd expected someone weak and subservient. But once she'd looked into his eyes, she'd realized he was clinging to her out of desperation and fear. One single meeting, and he already couldn't bear to let her go. Even though she'd been with the Sith only a short time, the ways of the dark side came naturally to her. She felt no pity or sorrow for him. His vulnerability only made him easier to control, and unlike the Jedi, the Brotherhood of Darkness rewarded ambition. Each rival she brought low proved her worth and elevated her status within the Sith. Bane would make the perfect tool to bring her rivals down, she thought. He was incredibly strong in the Force, even stronger than she'd first realized. She'd been amazed at the power she felt inside him, and now he was completely wrapped around her finger. She just had to make sure he stayed that way. She'd bring him along slowly, always keeping him just behind her own abilities. It was a dangerous game, but one she knew she could play well. Knowledge was power, and she alone controlled what knowledge he would gain. 
she'd teach him, string him along, twist him to her will, then use him to crush Sirak. And then, if she felt Bane was growing too powerful, she'd destroy him too. Night had fallen over Korriban. Sputtering torches cast eerie shadows in the halls of the academy. Bane made his way through those halls, wrapped in a black cloak, little more than a shadow himself. It was forbidden for apprentices to leave their rooms after curfew. One of the steps Cordis had taken to reduce the unexplained deaths that seemed to be all too common in academies populated by rival students of the dark side. Bane knew that if he was caught, the punishment would be severe. But this was the only time he could act without fear of being seen by the other students. He wound his way through the dormitory floor that housed the students until he reached the stairway leading to the upper levels and the master's quarters. He glanced quickly from side to side, peering into the flickering shadows cast on the stone walls. He paused, listening for the sound of anyone who might catch him in the halls. He had memorized the routes of the night sentries who patrolled the corridors after dark. He knew it would be almost an hour before they returned to this floor of the temple. But there were many other underlings, kitchen staff, cleaning staff, groundskeepers, who served the needs of the academy and might be wandering about. Hearing only silence, he proceeded up the stairs. He made his way quickly past the personal quarters of Cordis, somewhat relieved to see that even the Sith Master felt the need to close and lock his door at night. He continued on past another half a dozen doors, pausing only when he reached the entrance to the Blade Master's room. He knocked one softly, careful not to wake the others. Before he could knock a second time, the door swung open to reveal the Twi'lek. For a split second, Bane thought he must have been standing on the other side, waiting for him. But that was impossible, of course. More likely, the Blade Master's highly tuned reflexes had reacted to the first knock so quickly that he had already crossed the room and opened the door by the time the second rap came. He was clad in a pair of pants, but his torso was bare showing his scarred and tattooed chest. His confused expression confirmed Bane's assumption that the Blade Master hadn't known he was coming, and the speed with which he reached out to grab Bane and haul him inside the room confirmed his suspicions about his extraordinary reflexes. Before Bane even realized what was happening, the door was closed and locked behind him, sealing the two of them together in the small dark room. His host lit a small glow rod on a stand by the bed and turned to glare at his uninvited guest. What are you doing here? He hissed, keeping his voice low. Bane hesitated, uncertain how much to tell him. He had been thinking about Githany's offer and what she had said to him. He had decided she was right. He had to look out for himself if he was to survive. That meant he had to be the one to bring Sirak down. Not her. I want you to train me again, Bane whispered. I want you to teach me all you know about the art of lightsaber combat. Kasim shook his head in response, but Bane thought he sensed a brief hesitation before he did so. Gordis will never allow it. He has made it very clear that none of the masters is to waste any more time on you. I didn't think you answered to Cordis, Bane countered. Aren't all the Masters equal in the Brotherhood of Darkness? It was a blatant appeal to the Blade Master's pride, and the Twi'lek easily recognized it for what it was. He smiled, 
amused at Bane's boldness. True enough, he admitted, but here on Koriban the other lords defer to Cordis. It avoids complications. Cordis doesn't have to know, Bane pointed out, taking heart in the fact that Kasim hadn't flat out refused him yet. Train me in secret. We can meet at night on the temple roof. Why should I do this? The Twilik asked, crossing his muscular arms. You ask for the teachings of a Sith Lord, but what are you offering me in return? You know my potential, Bane pressed. Cordis has cast me aside. If I succeed now, he cannot take the credit. If I become an expert warrior for the Brotherhood, Lord Khan will know you were the one who trained me. And if I fail, no one will ever suspect your part in this. You have nothing to lose. Nothing but my time, the other replied, scratching his chin. You've lost your will to fight. You proved that against Sirak. His leku were quivering ever so slightly, and Bane took it as a sign that, despite his words, he was seriously considering the offer. Again, Bane hesitated. How much did he dare to reveal? He still planned to let Githany teach him about the Force and the ways of the dark side, but he realized that if she was his only teacher, he would forever be beneath her in power. If he wanted to be the one to take out Sirak, he'd need Kasim to help him. And he'd need to keep her from finding out. My will to fight is back, he finally said, deciding not to reveal Githany's involvement in his sudden resurrection. I'm ready to embrace the power of the dark side. Kasim nodded. Why are you doing this? Bane knew this was the final test. Kasim was a dark lord of the Sith. His talent and skill were reserved for those who would one day rise up and join the Masters in the Brotherhood of Darkness. He wanted more than proof that Bane was truly ready for this. He wanted proof that Bane was worthy. I want revenge, Bane replied, after careful consideration. I want to destroy Sirak. I want to crush him like an insect beneath the heel of my boot. The Blade Master smiled in grim satisfaction at his answer. We will begin tomorrow. Chapter 15 Bane made his way down the hall with careful, measured steps. But though his pace was somber and subdued, his mood was one of elated triumph. In the weeks since his fateful meeting with Githany, his situation had turned around completely. As promised, she was teaching him. The first few sessions had gone slowly as she'd helped him work through his mind's fear of its own potential. Bit by bit, the black veil had been torn away. Piece by piece, she was helping him reclaim what he had lost, until once again, he felt the power of the dark side coursing through his veins. Since then, the training had gone much more quickly. His hunger for revenge drove his studies. It fueled his ability to use the Force. It enabled him to understand the lessons that the Masters had taught Githany and she had then passed on to him. Despite being ignored by the instructors, he was once again learning everything the other apprentices were being taught, and learning it rapidly. As another student passed, Bane bowed his head, keeping up the pretense of subservience. 
it was important that none of the others suspected anything had changed. He kept his training with Githany hidden from everyone, even Kasim, just as the Blade Master's training was kept secret from her. Kasim knew he was growing more formidable with the Blade, but didn't know he was making similar strides in other areas. Githany could see his progress in unleashing his true potential with the Force, but wasn't aware he was also mastering the intricacies of lightsaber combat. As a result, they were both likely to underestimate the full scope of his abilities. Bane liked the subtle edge that gave him. His days were now filled with study and training. In the darkest hours before morning's first light, he would meet Kasim to practice drills and techniques. He would meet with Githany in the archives in the midday, where she could share instruction with him without fear of interruption or discovery. And whenever he wasn't training with Kasim or studying with Githany, he read the ancient texts. Another apprentice approached and Bane moved to the side, projecting an image of weakness and fear to hide his remarkable metamorphosis. He waited until the other apprentice's footsteps faded away before heading down the stairs toward the tomes in the temple's lowest levels. Cordis or one of the other masters might have been able to pierce the false front he projected and sense his true power were they not blinded by their own arrogance. They had dismissed him as a failure. Now, he was beneath their notice. Fortunately, this anonymity suited Bane just fine. He hardly slept at all anymore. It seemed his body no longer needed sleep. It fed on his growing command of the dark side. An hour or two of meditation each day was enough to keep his body energized and his mind invigorated. He consumed knowledge with the appetite of a starving rancor devouring everything he got from his secret mentors and always hungering for more. The Blade Master was amazed at his progress. And even Githany, despite her years of study with the Jedi, was hard-pressed to keep ahead of him. Everything he learned from them, he supplemented with the wisdom of the ancients. On his first arrival, he had sensed the value of the archives, only to turn his back on them as he had been drawn into the daily routine and intense lessons of the Academy. Now he understood that his initial instincts had been right after all. The knowledge contained in the yellowed parchments and leather-bound manuscripts was timeless. The Force was eternal. And though the masters at the Academy now walked a different path than their Sith forebears had, they all sought answers in the dark side. He smiled at the irony of this life. He was the outcast, the student Cordis had wanted left behind. Yet, with Githany, Kasim, and his own study of the archives, he was receiving far more education than any other apprentice on Korriban. The truth would be revealed soon enough. When the time was right, Sirak would discover that he had underestimated Bane. They all would. Excellent! Kasim said, as Bane blocked the Dark Lord's flurry and countered with one of his own. He didn't actually score a direct hit, but he did force the Blademaster to take a full step back under the fury of his assault. Suddenly the Twi'lek leapt high in the air, spinning and twisting so he could lash down at Bane as he flipped over the top of him. Bane was ready, switching from offense to defense so smoothly it all seemed to be a single action. He parried both blades of Kasim's weapon, even as he ducked out of the way and rolled clear to safety. He spun to face his foe, only to see that Kasim had lowered his weapon, signifying the end of the lesson. 
Very good, Bane, the Twilik said, giving him a slight bow. I thought you might be caught off guard by that move, but you were able to anticipate and defend it with near-perfect form. Bane basked in his master's praise, but he was sorry to know the session was over. He was breathing hard, his muscles glistening with sweat and twitching with adrenaline, yet he felt as if he could have continued fighting for hours. Sparring and drills had become much more than mere physical exertion for him now. Each movement, every strike and thrust had become an extension of the force acting through the corporeal shell of his flesh and bone body. He longed to engage another opponent in the dueling ring. He hungered for the challenge of testing himself against the other apprentices. But it wasn't time. Not yet. He still wasn't good enough to defeat Sirak, and until he could take the Zabrak down, he had to keep his rapidly developing talent hidden. Kasim tossed him a towel. Bane was pleased to see that the Twilik was sweating too, though nowhere near as profusely as he was. Do you have anything you want me to work on for tomorrow? Bane asked eagerly. A new sequence, a new form, anything. You've moved far beyond sequences and forms, the master told him. In that last pass, you broke off your attack in the middle of one sequence and came at me from a completely different and unexpected angle. I did? Bane was surprised. I, I didn't really mean to. That's what made it such a potentially devastating move. Kasim explained. You're letting the Force guide your blade now. You act without thought or reason. You're driven by passion, fury, anger, even hate. Your saber has become an extension of the dark side. Bane couldn't help smiling. But then his brow furrowed in consternation. I still couldn't get past your defenses, he said, trying to recreate the battle in his mind. No matter what he had tried to do, it seemed one side of the Twilix twin-bladed weapon was always there to parry his attack. A seed of doubt crept into his mind as he recalled that Sirak used a similar style of weapon. Does the double-bladed lightsaber give you an advantage? He asked. It does, but not in the way you believe, Kasim replied. Bane was silent, waiting patiently for further explanation. After a few seconds, his master obliged him. As you already know, the Force is the real key to victory in any confrontation. However, the equation is not so simple. Someone well-trained in lightsaber combat can defeat an opponent who is stronger in the Force. The Force allows you to anticipate your opponent's moves and counter them with your own, but the more options your foe has available, the more difficult it is to predict which will be chosen. Bane thought he understood. So the double-bladed weapon gives you more options? No, Kasim replied. But you think it does, so the effect is the same. For several seconds, Bane thought about the Blade Master's strange words, trying to decipher them. In the end, he had to admit defeat. I still don't understand, Master. You know the single-bladed lightsaber well. You use it yourself, and you've seen most of the other apprentices use it as well. My double-bladed weapon seems strange to you, unfamiliar. You don't fully understand what it can and cannot do. From the lack of impatience or exasperation in the Twilix tone, Bane could tell this was something he hadn't been expected to grasp on his own. In combat, your mind tries to keep track of each blade separately, effectively doubling the number of possibilities. 
but the two blades are connected. By knowing the location of one, you are automatically aware of the location of the other. In actual practice, the double-bladed lightsaber is more limited than the traditional lightsaber. It can do more damage, but it is less precise. It requires longer sweeping movements that don't transition well into a quick stab or thrust. Because the weapon is difficult to master, however, few among the Jedi, or even the Sith, understand it. They don't know how to attack or defend effectively against it. That gives those of us who use it an advantage over most of our opponents. Like Githany's whip, Bane exclaimed. Githany eschewed traditional weaponry in favor of the very rare energy whip, just one of the many traits that made her stand out from the other apprentices. It operated on the same basic principles as a lightsaber, but instead of a steady beam, the energy of the crystals was projected in a flexible ribbon that would twist, turn, and snap in response to both Githany's physical motions and her use of the Force. Exactly. The energy whip is far less efficient than any of the lightsaber blades. However, nobody ever practices against the whip. Githany knows that her enemy's confusion at being confronted with the whip gives her an edge. By telling me this secret, you've given up your advantage. Bane noted, smiling as he pointed to Kasim's double saber. Only to a very small degree. The Twilik said, You now understand why an exotic weapon or unfamiliar style will be more difficult to defend against. But until you become an expert in a particular style, in the heat of combat, your mind will still struggle to grasp its limitations. Bane kept pressing, eager to turn this new insight into something practical he could use. So, by studying different styles, I could negate that advantage? In theory. But time spent studying other styles is time away from mastering your own form. Your best progress will come from focusing more on yourself and less on your opponent. Then why even bother telling me all this? Bane blurted out, frustrated. Knowledge is power, Bane. My purpose is to give you that knowledge. It is up to you to figure out how best to use it. With those words, the Blade Master left him, heading down the temple stairs to steal a few hours of sleep before the morning sun rose. Bane remained behind, wrestling with the lesson until it was time to meet Githany in the archives. The smell of burning ozone wafted through the archives, filling Githany's nostrils as she watched Bane practicing his latest exercise. The room crackled and hissed as he channeled the energy of the Force and flung it about the room in great arcing bolts of blue-violet lightning. Githany stood with Bane at the center of a maelstrom. A fierce wind swirled around them, tearing at her hair and the folds of her robe. It rocked and shook the bookshelves, knocking manuscripts to the floor and rifling their pages. The air itself was charged with electricity, causing her skin to itch. In the midst of it all, Bane laughed, then raised his arms in triumph and launched another blast to ricochet off the far wall. Each time the lightning flared, the intensity of the flash burned Githany's retinas, causing her to shield her eyes. She noticed that Bane didn't look away. His eyes were wide and wild with the rush of power. 
the thunder was almost deafening, and the storm was still building. If Bane wasn't careful, the Echoes would reach the levels above the Archives, revealing their secret training ground to the rest of the Academy. Moving carefully, Githany reached out and touched his arm. He snapped his head around to face her, and the madness in his eyes almost made her recoil. Instead, she smiled. Very good, Bane! She shouted, trying to make her voice heard above the din. That's enough for today! She held her breath in anticipation until he nodded and lowered his arms. Instantly, she felt the power of the storm abating. Within a few seconds, it was gone. Only the mess it had made remained. <sighs> I've, I've never felt anything like that before, Bane gasped, his face still showing his exhilaration. Githany nodded. It's a remarkable sensation, she agreed, but you must be careful not to lose yourself in it. She was parroting the words of Master Cordis, who had taught her how to summon Force Lightning only a few days earlier. However, she had never conjured anything even approaching the majesty of what Bane had just unleashed. You must maintain control, or you could find yourself swept up in the storm along with your enemies, she told him, trying to mimic the calm, slightly condescending tone the masters used with their apprentices. She couldn't let him know that he had already surpassed her in this new talent. She couldn't let him know that she had felt the cold grip of fear clutching at her during his performance. He looked around at the toppled shelves, taking in the books and scrolls strewn about the room. We'd better clean this up before somebody sees it and wonders what happened in here. She nodded again, and the two of them set to restoring the archives to their previous state. As they worked, Githany couldn't help but wonder if she had made a mistake in allying herself with Bane. Only the top apprentices had been present when Quartus had taught them to use the dark side to corrupt the Force into a deadly storm. None of them, not even Sirach, had been able to create much more than a few jolts of energy that first day. Yet only an hour after being taught the technique by Githany, Bane had summoned enough energy to rip apart an entire room. This wasn't the first time Bane had taken a lesson she had taught him and exceeded her achievements on his first attempt. He was far stronger in the Force than she had realized, and he seemed to be growing more so each day. She worried that she might lose her control over him. She was careful, of course. She wasn't foolish enough to tell him everything she learned from the Sith Masters, yet that didn't seem to be giving her an advantage over her pupil anymore. Sometimes she wondered if all his study of the ancient texts was actually giving him an advantage over her. Learning at the feet of a true master should be more beneficial than reading theoretical works written thousands of years earlier, unless the current-day Sith were somehow flawed. Unfortunately, she didn't know how she could test her theory. If she suddenly started spending hours each day in the archives, Bane would wonder what she was up to. He might decide that her teachings weren't as valuable as what he could learn on his own. He might decide she was expendable. And if it came down to a confrontation, she was no longer sure she could defeat him. But Githany prided herself on her adaptability. Her initial plan of keeping him as a subservient apprentice was no longer viable. She still wanted Bane on her side, though. He could prove to be a powerful ally, beginning with his killing Sirak. They worked in silence for the next hour, gathering up the books and straightening the shelves. 
By the time the room was restored to some semblance of order, Githany's back ached from the constant bending, lifting, and reaching. She collapsed into one of the chairs, giving Bane a tired smile. <sighs> I'm exhausted, she said with an exaggerated sigh. He made his way over and stepped behind her, placing his large hands on her shoulders, just at the base of her long neck. He began to massage the muscles, his caress surprisingly gentle for a man so large. Mmm. That feels nice, she admitted. Where did you learn to do this? Working the cortosis mines teaches you a lot about aches and pains, he replied, working his thumbs deep into her shoulder blades. She gasped and arched her back, then went slowly limp as her muscles melted beneath his touch. He rarely spoke of his past life, though over their time together, she had pieced most of it together. In contrast, she had always been much more guarded with what she revealed about herself. You asked me once why I left the Jedi, she mumbled, feeling herself drifting away on the rhythmic pressure of his fingers on her neck. I never told you, did I? We all have things in our past we would rather not revisit, he replied without stopping. I knew you would tell me when you were ready. She closed her eyes and let her head fall back as he continued to knead her shoulders. My master was a Cathar, she said softly. Master Handa. I studied under him for almost as long as I can remember. My parents gave me over to the Order when I was just a toddler. I've heard the Jedi care little for the bonds that hold families together. They only care about the Force, she admitted after a moment's consideration. Worldly attachments, friends, family, lovers, cloud the mind with emotion and passion. Bane chuckled, a deep, low sound she felt thrumming through the tips of his fingers. Passion leads to the dark side, or so I've heard. It wasn't a joke to the Jedi, especially not to Master Handa. The Cathar are known as a hot-blooded species. He was always warning me and Keel about the dangers of giving in to our emotions. Keel? Keel Charney, another of Handa's Padawans. We often trained together. He was only a year older than me. Another Cathar? Bane asked. No, Keel was human. Over the years, we became close. Very close. The slight increase in the pressure of his touch told her that Bane had taken in the full meaning of her words. She pretended not to notice. Keel and I were lovers, she continued. The Jedi are forbidden from forming such attachments. The Masters fear it will cloud the mind with dangerous emotions. Were you really attracted to him, or just to the idea of disobeying your master? She thought about it for a long time. A bit of both, perhaps, she said finally. He was handsome enough, strong in the forest there was an undeniable attraction. Bane only grunted in response. His hands had stopped massaging and were now resting on her neck. Once we became lovers, it didn't take long for Master Honda to find out. Despite all his preaching about controlling emotion, I could tell he was furious. He commanded us to set our feelings aside and forbade us from continuing our relationship. Bane snorted his contempt. Did he really think it would be that simple? The Jedi see emotion as part of our bestial nature. They believe we must transcend our baser instincts. But I know passion is what makes us strong. The Jedi only fear it because it makes their Padawans unpredictable and difficult to control. Master Handa's reaction made me realize the truth. 
Everything the Jedi believed about the Force was a perversion of reality, a lie. I finally understood I would never reach my full potential under Master Honda. That was the moment I turned my back on the Order and began planning my defection to the Sith. What about Kilchani? He was rubbing her shoulders once again, but his hands were a little rougher now. I asked him to come with me, she confessed. I told him we had a choice to make, the Jedi or each other. He chose the Jedi. The tension in Bane's hands eased ever so slightly. Is he dead? She laughed. Did I kill him, do you mean? No, he was still alive, the last I heard. He may have died battling the Sith on Rusan since then, but I didn't feel the urge to kill him myself. Then I guess your feelings for him weren't as strong as you thought. Githany stiffened. It might have been a joke, but she knew there was truth in Bane's words. Keel had been convenient. Though there was a physical attraction, he had become more than a friend, mostly because of her situation. Studying day and night with him under Master Honda, the pressure of living up to the unrealistic ideals of a Jedi, the stress of being trapped in the seemingly endless war on Rusan. Bane wringed her neck with his hands, his touch firm but not tight. He leaned down and whispered in her ear, causing her to shiver at the warmth and closeness of his breath. When you finally betray me, I hope you care enough to try to kill me yourself. She jumped up from the chair, slapping his hands away and spinning to face him. For a split second, she saw a self-satisfied expression on his face. Then it was gone, replaced by a look of apologetic concern. I'm sorry, Githany. It was just a joke. I didn't mean to upset you. I opened up a painful part of my past, Bane, she said warily. It's not something I want to make light of. You're right, he said. I... I'll go. She studied him as he turned and made his way out of the archives. He seemed genuinely sorry for what he'd said, as if he regretted hurting her. The perfect situation to give her the emotional leverage she had been looking for, if only she hadn't seen the flicker of something else. Once he was gone, she shook her head, trying to make sense of the situation. Bane looked like a great hulking brute of a man, but there was wisdom and cunning beneath his heavy brow and bald skull. She thought back on the last twenty minutes, trying to determine when she had lost control of the situation. There had been sparks between them, just as she had intended. Bane had done nothing to hide his desire for her. She sensed the heat as he caressed her neck. Still something had gone wrong with her carefully planned seduction. Was it possible she actually felt something for him? Githany unconsciously bit her lower lip. Bane was powerful, intelligent, and bold. She needed him if she was going to eliminate Sirak. But he had a knack for surprising her. He kept challenging and defying her expectations. She had to admit, she found him intriguing in spite of this. Or perhaps because of it. Bane was everything Keel hadn't been. Ambitious, impulsive, unpredictable. Despite her best intentions, some small part of her was drawn to him. And that, more than anything else, made him a very dangerous ally. Chapter 16 
High atop the temple of Korriban, beneath the light of a blood-red moon, two figures stood poised in silhouette, one human, one Twi'lek. A chill wind swept across the roof, but though both combatants had stripped off their robes to fight bare-chested, neither shivered from the cold. They might have been statues, still and hard as stone, were it not for the smoldering heat in their eyes. Without warning, the figures lunged, moving so swiftly it would have been impossible for an observer to say which one acted and which reacted. They met with a thunderous crash of their savage blades. Even as he desperately fought to hold his ground, Bane was studying Kasim carefully. He was acutely aware of every feint and strike, analyzing and memorizing each block, parry, and counter-strike. The Blademaster had said his time would be better spent focusing on improving his own technique, but Bane was determined to negate Sirok's advantage by absorbing all he could from the Twi'lek's double-bladed fighting style. The exchange lasted well over a minute, with no break or lull in the action, until Bane spun away to regroup. He had sensed his attack slipping into an unconscious pattern, and predictability was death against an opponent as skilled as Kasim. He had fallen into that trap once the previous week. He wasn't about to make the mistake twice. The two combatants faced each other once again, motionless, save for their eyes, which flicked and darted in search of any sign they could use to gain some slight advantage. Over the past month, their training sessions had become less frequent, but far more intense. Part of Bane believed Kasim actually found value in sparring against him. The Blademaster had to grow bored crossing blades with apprentices and students so far beneath his own level. Of course, Bane had yet to land a telling blow against his master. But each time they sparred, he felt as if he was getting closer and closer to a victory. Kasim's form and technique were flawless, but Bane was aware that the slightest miscue was all the opening he needed. Both fighters were breathing hard. The session had gone far longer than any before it. Their battles typically ended when the Twi'lek landed a scoring blow, disabling one of his students' limbs with the burning Pelko venom. On this night, however, Kasim had yet to land such a blow. Kasim charged forward, and the clang and clash of their weapons rang out over the rooftop in a sharp staccato rhythm. They stood toe-to-toe, hammering away at each other, neither giving ground or quarter. Ultimately, Bane was forced to disengage, breaking off the melee before the Blademaster's superior skill broke down his defenses. This time, it was Bane who initiated the charge. Once again, their training sabers rained down, and once again, they broke apart with both combatants unscathed. This time, however, the outcome of the battle was no longer in doubt. Bane hung his head and lowered his blade in an admission of defeat. The last pass, he had held Kasim off, but with each swing of his saber, he had grown a microsecond slower. Fatigue was setting in. Even the forest couldn't keep his muscles fresh forever, and the seemingly endless duel had finally taken too great a toll. The Blade Master, on the other hand, had lost almost none of his speed and sharpness. Bane doubted he would get through the next pass, and even if he did, the one after that would bring certain defeat. It was inevitable so there was no point in pressing to the point that he actually suffered the pain of getting hit. Kasim seemed momentarily surprised at the concession, then nodded in acceptance of the victory. You were smart to recognize that the battle was over. 
but I expected you to fight on until the end. There is little honor in surrender. Honor is a fool's prize, Bane replied, reciting a passage from one of the volumes he had recently read in the archives. Glory is of no use to the dead. After pondering his words for a moment, the blademaster nodded. Well said, my young apprentice. Bane wasn't surprised that Cassim didn't recognize the quote. The words had been written by Darth Revan nearly three millennia earlier. The masters were as lax as the students when it came to studying the ancient writings. It seemed the academy had turned its back on the past champions of the dark side. True, Revan had eventually gone back over to the Jedi and the Light after being betrayed by Darth Malak. Still, Revan and Malak had come within a hair's breadth of wiping out the Republic. It was foolish to discount all they accomplished, and even more foolish to ignore the lessons that could be learned from them. Yet Cordus and the other masters stubbornly refused to spend any time studying the history of the Sith Order. Fortunately for Bane, it was a trait they passed along to their students. It had given him an undeniable advantage over the other apprentices. If nothing else, it had shown him the true potential of the dark side. The archives were filled with accounts of incredible feats of power. Cities laid waste, worlds brought low, entire star systems swallowed up when a Dark Lord caused the sun to go nova. Some of these tales were likely exaggerations, myths that had grown with each retelling before being set down on parchment. Yet they had their roots in truth, and that truth had inspired Bane to push himself farther and faster than he otherwise would have dared. Thinking of Revan and the Sith Lords of the past brought to mind another question that had been troubling him for some time. Master, why don't the Sith use the Darth title anymore? It was Lord Khan's decision, the Twi'lek told him as he toweled off.